Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. There's no way of knowing where this pandemic is going. And what I think we've concluded is that we simply can't run from it. And that like so many other industries, we're looking to find the right balance between health and safety on one hand and economic necessity on the other. And what, what we think is we found what makes sense for the NBA, and that is a safe and responsible way to play. That's Adam Silver, commissioner of your NBA. Um, just a, a man with all kinds of credibility. Smart, he's not going to lie to you, he's not going to pull Rob Manfred on you, he's not going to pull a Roger Goodell on you, or a Bettman, it's just I, everything the man says seems to be a truth and honest and candid, which the other commissioners seem incapable of bringing about. That's Adam Silver. And this, joining us on the Alpamonte Ford Hotline, Alpamonte Ford in Melrose Park, is the the wonderful, experienced, legendary basketball reporter, Casey Johnson. He now works at NBC Sports Chicago. He used to be at the Chicago Tribune. And now he's going to tell us all about the NBA. Go, Casey. Happy Fourth. There's the NBA. Usually, <laughs> there you usually, go. It's yeah. a, usually it's a day where we're uh, we're trying to chase free agent news, and now we're just kind of waiting to make sure this restart goes off without a hitch later this month. Casey, I I said the NBA, like all leagues, will get started but will not finish. I just see that all of the voluntary stuff has created certain numbers. They've teams have attempted to deal with it. Players have have been to whatever discipline degree. They have been, they all have reservations, and I just see as it gets started, and, and even in the bubble, you can't be in a bubble, not if you have a bunch of Disney employees going in and out in one of the biggest counties with the, uh, one of the counties with the greatest spikes in the country. So what's your feeling on this? Yeah, I've been skeptical all along, Steve. Um, you know, obviously, I think there's really, obviously, a ton of planning and good intentions that have gone into this, and I do agree with you about Commissioner Silver's transparency. I mean, there's both a altruistic reason for trying to do this and also, you know, speaking quite frankly, a, a hugely financial reason, obviously, because if they're not able to pull this off um, and, and the 1920 season's not finished, it's going to have massive financial ramifications for years. It's very likely that the, the league would would try to, you know, renegotiate the CBA with the Players Association and just on down the line. So um, it's clear that, you know, with the amount of planning that they put into this, it's going to it's going to start later this month. Whether or not they're going to be able to crown a 1920 champion, obviously nobody knows. Um, I, I, like you, have my doubts, but I hope I'm wrong. Uh, I think it'd be good, obviously, for the country and, and good for the league as well. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I hope they pull it off. Is it, Casey, is it also because of financial reasons to some degree that they are considering the the second bubble, the one that might take place in Chicago with the eight teams that didn't make the playoffs? Mark, that, that, that would have some of what of a financial uh, ramification, but a, less, a lesser one. Really, that's just born out of these eight teams uh, living through an unprecedented time, uh, like a lot of us are with a lot of different ways. With, with what's going on with the world, um, you know, obviously not playing from mid-March to, let's say, training camps start in late November um, for the 2021 season. Let's say they finish the 1920 season 
and then you know they pulled off and, and the 2021 season tips in December so training camp started late November that's eight months and that's unprecedented um, so it's really just born out of those eight teams all along wanting to get some sort of formal activities on the board um, you know the reason why there's talk, even talk about bubbles because the players association has said if they're able to if they're able to navigate all the um, you know, logistics of this, it has to follow the same protocol as the Orlando situation. And so the only way you can uh, replicate the daily testing, the, the bubble-like environment, is to get them all in one city. I will tell you that from the eight teams, um, there are varying levels of interest in that. Most just really want some mandated practice time, similar to like what obviously the NFL does with the OTAs which I know are considered optional team activities, but have really kind of become mandatory in this day and age. Um, so that's, I, I think that's obviously all got a long way to go. The, the focus is, in, is in on Orlando now, and if they're going to pull off a second bubble, they're going to have to see how the Orlando stuff uh, tips off. Our guest is Casey Johnson, NBC Sports Chicago, covers the Bulls, talks about the NBA. That, that embarrassing eight, um, in the second bubble, why? If you're Zach Levine, Kobe White, Markinen, Porter, Carter Jr., if you're good, why would you not opt out? Why would you play in that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a certainly a legitimate question. I, I think some of those examples that you see probably, uh, I would say, would want to play a guy like Kobe White. He's, he's just a young kid who wants to play basketball, and he, and he loves representing the Bulls. I, I would see a guy like him, and I'm speculating here, I'm not reporting this, but I would see a guy like him uh, wanting to do something like this. But, yes, if you're a veteran like Thad Young or Zach Levine, um, you really got to question whether or not it's worth it. Uh, you also have uh, wrinkles to it. Uh, you know, Larry Markkinen is uh, eligible for an uh, extension off of his rookie contract this, this offseason, whenever the offseason calendar is formulated. Um, you know, so I'm sorry, it is formulated now. So he's eligible for, for an extension starting in October. So, I mean, what would be his incentive to play in September for meaningless games and possibly get hurt? He also has family in Finland. Um, so, you know, getting him back from overseas would, would add another layer to it. Tomas Sadaransky is a veteran who, you know, his family's been in Wisconsin, the Czech Republic. So, um, you know, getting him back would be a wrinkle. So, yeah, tons of hurdles here. Uh, I do know that, you know, ultimately, surprise, most NBA players, if, they, if you give them a schedule and tell them what to do, they, they, just, want to, they just want to work at their craft and get better. So um, I think if there is something a little bit more formal and organized, you might have more participation than you would guess. But there are certainly a lot of reasons why guys would opt out as well. As you're seeing with the with the full-on restart, the 22-team restart, it's it's a messy situation for these other eight teams, um, and really, obviously, just a byproduct of the unprecedented nature of what what the NBA and, and really we're all going through. Anything new, Casey, with Mark Eversley and Arturis Karnaschovas as far as making any decisions on Jim Boylan or anything moving forward? On, on the roster? No, I mean, this is, again, you know, I, I know everybody wants, you know, uh, decisions now, and, and there was like that flurry and spasm of activity upon their hiring, but Arturis has made it pretty clear he's going to go through an evaluation period, and really with the Bulls not having any kind of group activities right now, there's just voluntary workouts at the Advocate Center and not many players are in market. There's just not much going on with the Bulls right now. I mean, they're obviously doing draft prep as much as they can. They're having, you know, as many meetings as they can over Zoom. But those guys aren't even here permanently in Chicago. I mean, they've been here and then they've gone back to their home markets. And I I believe they're going to be coming back for for more organizational stuff in the near future. But there's just nothing going on with the team formally right now. So, um, yeah. You know, Arturis has made it clear he's, he wants to get to know Jim personally and go through an evaluation period that way. I know that they spent a lot of time together in meetings, and when Arturis was here in Chicago, they, they did do some film study and some draft prep and things like that together. I don't know to what extent he's going to need to evaluate Jim until he makes his decision. Only Arturis knows the answer to that. But I, I understand people want resolution on this because Jim is a polarizing guy. 
But with no Saturday group activities scheduled, there's really no rush. Um, you know, the next season doesn't tip off possibly until November with training camp, as I said, or December with games. So, you know, the guys under contract, uh, I think there's an element to that, too. You know, you're paying them anyway, so why not just ride it out? Um, until there's formal group activities, I don't think you'll see um, any kind of resolution on Jim's future. And if there are formal group activities that are still under the umbrella of the 1920 season, it's certainly viable and possible that Jim would be leading those. I think once you get formal group activities for 2021, it's when you'll see this decision-making process uh, you know, put on uh, the fast track. Casey Johnson, our guest on The Score, NBC Sports Chicago. Extending that, Casey, I see, I see the new Bulls regime seemingly divide, trying to figure out who they need to appeal to. There's the local group that wants Jim Boylan gone. We've seen that. We don't need another late timeout in a blowout. Uh, as an NBA observer that you've seen the way players need to be wooed and coaches need to be wooed, and the credibility that comes with that from an organization. I, I think that the players might look at it, because players talk and say, how could the new, the new guys in charge of the Bulls not get rid of that coach from what we've heard about that coach? And yet anybody, the other coaches around the league might look at them and say, well, they have some credibility. They're willing to give this guy a chance. If it were me, I would have a chance to explain myself and keep my job and not lose it automatically. It seems like they're they're fighting, not fighting, maybe necessarily. They made a decision that they want to look with credibility. They want to look to assistant coaches and future coaches as if they have credibility in a place where they'll have their back, and that matters more to them. Am I off on this? Well, I think I think you're part part of the way there, Steve, and I think they are balancing that dynamic well. But I think the the more important dynamic, and this this is informed speculation, but that you're missing is uh, ownership. <laughs> you know, wow. look, ownership ownership hires guys and then empowers them. The Reinsdorfs are known to empower play guys and leave them alone. And I guarantee you, Arturis Karnaschovas has the empowerment to fire Jim Boylan if he wants to. However, he also is. Very aware that Jim Boylan has support of both Michael and Jerry Reinsler. So my this is just my my guess. Why why burn that bullet now when you don't have to make a decision for six, seven, eight months? And you also you know that he's under contract. I mean, why not appease that until you don't have to appease it anymore? I mean, um, I do think you know, I, the way I framed it is look. It doesn't take a genius to know that most new management regimes want to have his or her own coach in place. Okay, John Paxson fired a former teammate at Bill Cartwright six months after he took over and replaced him with Scott Stiles. Okay, that's just how sports work. We all know that. Um, but you know, right now there no decision needs to be made. Arturis, when he was hired, made four quick moves. He hired Mark Eversley. He hired um, JJ Polk, a salary cap guy. He hired um, Pat Connolly, a player development guy, and he fired Gar Foreman. Since then, the only decisions he has made have been with deadlines attached to them. Jeff Tanaka, option decision, head athletic trainer, declined the option. Nate Lenzer, assistant coach, option decision, picked it up for next year. Now, Nate is a you know third or fourth coach, so it, I wouldn't read too much into that in the Boylan situation because Nate could always move into a player development role. Um, under the new regime if there is a coaching change. But I've also said this, you know, Arturis is, has ties to some of these assistant coaches. Chris Fleming, he worked with him in Denver. Chris Fleming just finished the first year of a three-year deal. Uh, Dean Cooper, uh, he and uh, Arturis cross paths in, in Houston. He's on the assistant coaching staff and under contract. So it's not just a gym decision, it's a staff decision, and he's going through the evaluation process knowing that Jim has ownership support. Now, again, long-term fit, you know, I think everybody is, you know, rightfully speculating or reporting that long-term fit, you got to question it. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm just going to take Arturis 
at face value uh, until there's a 2021 season, and that is he's going to go through the evaluation process before he makes a decision, and that's where we're at with no with no formal Bulls group activities going on. Well, let's talk about what more on the player side now and the way Arturis Karnaschovas may see things. And this is obviously projecting, but I, I thought Mark Shanowski, your colleague over at NBC Sports Chicago, made a great point on the score as it pertains to eventually the draft and the lottery in August and all that kind of stuff, that he said the, la- the last thing the Bulls need is another young player. That unless they do get the top one or two or three picks in the draft, that they ought to do something different come draft day and get creative. Do, do you think that Karnaschovas and or Eversley, that that's what they are in the business of doing at this point with this team being creative as opposed to just going along with whatever comes their way? Yeah, I mean, this has been the tough aspect of this hire, and I'm not trying to evade the question, Mark, but I mean, I don't, I don't know Arturis and, and Mark well enough to speculate, okay? And it's not like we're giving daily access to them. You know, we've had brief conversations with them. My sense is, while I agree with Shadowski's point about not adding a young player, my sense is without O'Porter Jr. opting in, or almost certainly opting in for the 2021 player option, and, and, and you know, the Bulls kind of, capped out for next season that they'll, they'll just look at 2021 as uh, trying to almost like a reclamation project like they've got there's young talent in this roster how can it get better and just you know look at the roster that way i almost look at 2021 as maybe a turning water season but not necessarily in a bad way just like in a way like let's let's maximize what we have on this roster before we start making decisions everyone knows the bulls are projected to have salary cap space in 2021 try to get more out of what they have on the roster for 2021 and then, you know, maybe make some significant decisions in 2021. That's my guess. Again, I, you know, maybe, maybe Mark and ever Mark and Arturis have different ideas or different designs. I'm not privy to yet. I, it's not like we get a lot of access to these guys yet. Uh, I think obviously once you see where they land in the lottery, you'll be able to have a better idea. Um, but you know, this is uh, this is all going to play out over a long period of time because of this uh, this long off season and the lottery being in August and the draft being in October and free agency being in October. So we'll see how it plays out. Our guest is Casey Johnson, CSN Sports Chicago. He's part of he's America's basketball teenager. He's forever young. He always looks young. So with players opting out and everything and not playing, and then that embarrassing eighth thing, the second bubble. So between UKC and Jason Goff and Kendall Gill and Will Purdue, how would the CSN Chicago panel do in the second bubble if you guys were a team? <laughs> so if we go into the second bubble, are you saying we're going to play in it or broadcast it? No, you're going to play in it, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't need you to report on it. Nothing's going on, but I want to see you scrimmage. How would you guys do given everything that would have all the team, all the players who would opt out? All I gotta say is uh, I like our chances with the most fit fifty-two-year-old in the world and Kendall Gill. That's all I gotta <laughs> say, man. <laughs> and, and Will Purdue, Will Purdue is still really tall. Last time I checked. Yeah, and I can still bust a lefty jumper in my fourteen-year-old's face, so I got that going for me. That's right, and I, I just, I want to make sure that Will's, Will's got six fouls to give, and he's gonna give them all. So let's just make sure that. Casey, appreciate your time. Have a good holiday. Thanks for taking time out on the Fourth of July for us. Take care, guys. All right, See you, Casey man. Johnson, NBC Sports, Chicago, talking about the Bulls and yeah, the whole ownership thing is that's loud and that's a noisy thing that our tourists. Karnaschovas didn't need, but I can see where KC says you might as well get out of them what you get out of them. You're paying them anyways, whatever you think you can get out of them. And the one and one of the things that gets missed in a lot of these situations <clears throat> when you like we can't believe Jim Boylan hasn't been fired. If you can if you're Karnaschovas and you could not pick up the trainer's option without having flown into Chicago to talk to the guy. Why can't you fire Jim Boylan? But one of the things is they, the, the coach would know where certain bodies are buried, or you'd know the thinking. You'd get thinking from before. You trade. You do some, you do some strategic contact tracing 
for the Bulls, for management, what they did, how they came up across players, and you'd be able to fix what went wrong or be able to alter it or see how this happened. So I do think that there is value in not firing him. I don't know how it resounds around the league, what players think. What do you think? Do players? We know players talk. What do you think it means that he's well, still here? I, I think, all right, the the last time there was a regime change in this town that was this loud and significant was the Cubs in 2013 when Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer take over for, for Jim Henry and they, they change everything. My point is, is that sometimes, in the like in the case of Theo and now in the case of Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley, kind of got to sit back and trust these guys it's kind of it kind of has to be blind trust and it was easier with Theo Epstein because he had already built a World Series champion in Boston so it was a little bit easier there but based on the credentials and the resume that does exist for Karnaschovas and Eversley it sounds like they got it going pretty good so it it sucks to have to have that answer of just sit back and trust these guys but I think that's that's what it is until we hear more from them or until we start to see actual activity from them in terms of creativity with players, like I was asking Casey about, and creativity with the coaching staff. And Casey said it several times throughout that. He doesn't know yet. He doesn't know yet. We don't know yet how these guys comport themselves, how they operate, what they're really thinking. So for now, crappy answer, but you have to trust. Okay. Well, I trust that when we come back, we'll discuss another July 4th weekend anniversary, and um, we will um, we will delve into it. There was um, parts of it I didn't know, and we'll uh, we'll discuss that. It, okay, uh, Steve. It was a pretty famous baseball thing, and we'll do that okay. next. Okay. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast welcome and welcome back steve rosenblum mark Brody with you saturday suckage july 4th edition on this july 4th America's Independence Day. We find out that Kyle Hendricks and Hugh Darvish will throw simulated games. This should be in the middle of a race. And um, did you know Brand- Brandon Hyde very well, Mark? Did you come a- come across him? Do you have the yeah, I did. Chat, yeah. chat with I the mean, man? Absolutely. I've talked to him many times. Um, he had a... I-, I love the man's sense of humor. And... He has 
left the Cubs to go become the manager of the Baltimore Orioles. So yesterday, like many teams, like the Cubs and Sox, the Orioles were back to playing, and there were the Zoom calls and Zoom press conferences. So Brandon Hyde said, quote, we're going to be in first place in late July. That's really exciting for us. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect, man. Heading into the dog days. We're all in first place. Yeah, you need a sense of humor when you're the manager of the Orioles. So anyways, you know, on the 4th of July, uh, it's, it hasn't always been simulated games and pandemics and things like that. One of the more famous lines in baseball history was uttered. I feel I'm the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Lou Gehrig Day, 1939, Yankee Stadium, between games of a doubleheader against the Washington Senators. Gehrig had already ended his streak his career and then you could see his life was coming to an end and the Yankees had set up the whole idea of honoring the man giving him presents retiring numbers so they did it between games of a doubleheader on the 4th of July against the Washington Senators and there the most famous one of the most famous lines in baseball was spoken by a guy who wasn't going to speak I didn't know this just sort of diving into stuff this week. Lou Gehrig wasn't going to speak. He wasn't that public, as as garrulous and public as Babe Ruth was, that Gehrig was the opposite. But as the ceremony was ending when they presented him gifts and Babe spoke at this and other people spoke, the fans began chanting his name. And Yankees manager Joe McCarthy walked him over, sort of prodded him to get to the microphone. And that's when Garrick spoke, and that's when he said, some people say I've been given a bad break. Today I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. That's just, that's a wonderful piece of baseball history, a baseball anniversary, and Gary Cooper couldn't have said it better, Mark. The greatest microphone echo of all time yeah you're right you're right Right? today 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 (laughs) i consider (laughs) luckiest i mean it was it was good that's that is interesting i did not realize that he had not i mean it's like one of those very rare genuine genuine and dramatic moments where it's just as real as can be an unscripted and non-teleprompted so yeah and it's yeah it's it is great i mean i think every i think the the microphone echo needs to be a little bit more prevalent because that's what made it so memorable other than the words of course so you want to hear microphone echo. so so that's what you got on july 4th 1939 and the echo you're right about the echo i forgot about that but you hear it and <laughs> then it then it resounds i consider myself yes. self self uh, so now on the 4th of July, you, you have some guy eating 75 weenies. That's, 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 where, that's, oh, that's where we where are. We oh my God. And you know where else we are? It's not just that some guy ate 75 weenies on the 4th of July instead of teams playing actual baseball. But our guy, our erstwhile uh, Eli Hershkovich, apparently bet the over. I think he, he bet the over on 74 and a half that Joey Chestnut, the hot dogs Joey Chestnut would eat. So so Eli made money on the weenie eating. That's where we are. Why has nobody ever died during an eating competition that we know of? <laughs> you think many deserve to? I'm not saying they deserve to. I'm <laughs> just surprised that there that's... hasn't been there hasn't been death. I mean, isn't that it, it is like it is a microcosm of America. It is just you know shoving hot dogs or excess. any kind of yeah excess gluttony gluttony. Yes, that's that's what it is. And like nobody has. Uh, it's only gonna take one Joey Chestnut hot dog lodged in the lining of his heart before we never see competitive eating again on ESPN. 
Right, or maybe we will. Maybe maybe, maybe there'll be a, an urge to watch people die. You never it know. is amazing, isn't it? Isn't it yeah. amazing when you think about it? Like, nobody has ever died. Like, that is... There can't be many worse things to, to do to one's body than to shove bad food, massive amounts of bad food, in your system. Like, are there many things worse for your body? And nobody's died from this. Ooh. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Just obesity. We, we're Just all obesity. about obesity. Yeah, I guess. Excess and, and, and that's the ironic part. Lack, lack of discipline. Maybe that sums up America a lot better than Lou Gehrig. The, yeah, and, and then Joey Chestnut, of course, is what? 165? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, there's just, irony involved, yes. Yeah, it's floss. So apropos of nothing, I came across this this week that I, you thought you'd heard all the wonderful Yogi Berra lines. Well, it turns out that Toot Shore, the restaurateur in New York, um, introduced Willie Mays. He says, come here, I want you to meet Ernest Hemingway, an important writer. And so... Yogi's there, and it says, "What paper are you with, Ernie?" I just love that. <laughs> Ernest Hemingway, what paper are you with? Okay, <laughs> apropos of nothing. So the, um, the the Jose Quintana, Jose and his cutter. Where do you think that leaves your Cubs, given given the current situation? Do you think it that's just a guy who wouldn't be able to go three innings? Because that's what they were going to do. You talked about him being an innings eater. He can't do, can't throw, eat innings if he can't eat one. So, what do you think that does, and what do you think of the Cubs' pitching depth? My first reaction to it when I heard he was injured, okay, that sucks because you don't want anybody to be injured. But this is not. I mean, just looking at it really from a hardcore standpoint, you're like. I'm like, this is not that big of a deal because Jose Quintana has not been great. He is not a guy on whom you depend to make your pitching staff work. You'd be better off with him in there because I still think he's better than anything you have depth-wise. Alec Mills doesn't really move the, the meters for me. Colin Ray does not do that either. The only one out of that crew that actually does anything for me is Edward Alzali, and that's probably because he is younger and a guy who, you know, he had a weird year last year. He came in to a, a game last year where they, I think they had a planned bullpen day uh, because it was Tyler Chatwood starting. Chatwood did four innings, and then he comes in and finishes the game, Alzali does, out of the bullpen, and he was terrific. He was terrific. I don't know if you remember, but he, he walked out of the game to a standing ovation and he did he took like a serious bow and all all the players gave him crap for it and then after that the cubs gave him a few more opportunities to start and it slowly declined and it you know he starts four strikeouts four walks and then he did, goes i think it was milwaukee and he just gets crashed i mean he just gets seven you know seven runs in two and two thirds or something like that i'd have to look at the game log but he was an interest. He's an interesting prospect. So he's the only one that really moves the meters for me. I think it's going to be Alec Mills. I think that's the safe way to go for the Cubs right now. Um, no, I don't think their depth is particularly good. There's nobody in there who you look at and say, yeah, that's that's a definite thing. I mean, I could see them using all three of those guys in potential starting situations. Yeah, I think it'd be more use of the opener idea, just based on physical readiness. And a team like the White Sox has a terrific amount of pitching depth that they you weren't sure what they were going to do with it before, but I think they're in a perfect situation to make use of it now. Guys returning from injury, but, but having puffed up pitching staffs and including the bullpen and you can you can go with the opener for fear of you're not hurting anybody's I don't know contract status or ego or whatever it is you can you're in there's an urgency to win I wonder when you when David Ross has never done this before at this level Rick Renteria who's never done it before with where the expectation is win or walk well he's not going to walk but win that's what the expectation is they've raised it and and will they show will they be joe madden in april of 2015 or will they be joe madden in august of 2015 when you're pulling hmm. jason hamill and benching starlin castro isn't right. that every team isn't that every both managers in this town don't they have to be that joe madden yeah, it's funny. Like I brought that up 
on Twitter a couple of weeks ago about how Joe Madden might be one of the, the more equipped managers to handle this uh-huh. group situation because historically in his career even going back to Tampa Bay, he, he knew how to step on the gas pedal. And, of course, I was quickly reminded of the Cubs' failures late in the season the last two years. Right. But there is a larger sample of Joe Madden thriving from August on. And, yes, Jason Hamill is indicative completely of that. Sorry, Jason. <laughs> if you're going to keep you know giving up hits in the third and runs, we, we don't have time for this. So, yeah, I mean, luckily, David Ross saw the way Joe Madden managed and... Joe Madden would screw around a lot and put weird, you know, strange uh, players in weird, unfamiliar positions, and then he stopped doing that. So, yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea if Ricky Renteria or David Ross knows how to. We certainly don't know about Ricky Renteria because he's never had a team that's been good enough to comport himself as being particularly urgent. You know, it's not it's not Nate Sheerholtz and and the 2014 Cubs. Um, and you're not marching Adam Engel out there to start in the center field, nor is James Shields starting for you for, as, if you're Ricky Renteria. So there's a lot we have to learn still about Renteria, and maybe he will thrive. Maybe this is just what he needed to become a quote-unquote good or credible manager in Major League Baseball. Did you just play the Nate Sheerholz card? I did. I love playing the Nate Sheerholz because you have to pick out a couple <laughs> of guys. That are that are indicative of eras, and for some yeah. reason, nature put a face on it. That's what they tell yeah. you. Put a face on it. Right, Sheerholtz. Yeah. Come on, Sheerholtz. Yeah, that was. Uh, so yeah, I'm was... sure there's better guys. I don't know. Maybe maybe I should say the Darwin Barney Cubs. Maybe that's a more credible name. So what you saw with David Ross, the one thing that would, I don't think he'd have a problem being that kind of Joe Madden. You know, acting after. I don't know if he knows enough to be that Joe Madden, the August 2015 Joe Madden, to know the the, the moments, the the that it has to happen. This will be a series of moments. They'll all go. They'll they'll become rapid fire. I think they'll happen one after another. But to realize it when it when it matters, you can't let it get out of hand. And there's a fine line between. And we've seen it with Madden, whether it's smart strategy or panicking. Um, we were just talking about Game 7 and pitching, and just I'm bullheaded. I'm stubborn enough. I'm going to stick to this, and I'm panicking because John Lester's running out of warm-up pitches, and he's got to be in there because I say he's got to be in there. Meanwhile, Kyle Hendricks has a four-run lead, so sit, shut up and sit down. The The idea that David Ross, the way he did it as a, as a player, as the mar- the you know, the, the sergeant at arms in that locker room, that clubhouse, that dressing room, and the respect the players had for him, you don't think he'll have a problem making a move and then telling a player to his face why he made that move. I guess the question would be, would he know that moment when that moment is? Big difference between making a suggestion or thinking it out as a bench coach or a coach on the bench in uniform and actually doing it as a manager. I guess that's the the question... We don't have an answer to. We haven't seen him do it. You're right. And the, the only part that I think he has down is, and this is an incredibly important part of being a manager, maybe the most important part, he's pretty good at knowing pitchers, he, obviously. And he knows how to handle John Lester. He was his personal catcher because John Lester trusted him. So I think he's got a pretty good handle on when to go out and talk to a pitcher, when to take a pitcher out, and maybe who to put in. Um, so I think that that's a huge part of the job, but you are right, man. How about just like, and I'm sure that he'll get help from Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer, but how about just day-to-day lineups? Eventually, you know, Ross has to be his own man when it comes to that, and you do, even though it's great having the designated hitter in the National League, it's another bat, it, it may be complicated at times for him to decide who is the DH on a day-to-day basis, who needs a break. And in a 60-game season, how many breaks do these guys need? So there, there is going to be some managing that comes along that David Ross is going to have to do that um, he's not – I'm not saying he won't be prepared for, but it's he's going to have to make decisions that are going to go wrong. I don't know. Who, who knows what, what he – what kind of a – in, in a shortened season, is in more urgency, are we going to see more small ball, you know, a runner on second with, 
you know, with one out, are we going to see a bunt or two or no outs? I don't know. So, David, we, there's a lot to be untapped with David Ross still. With Ricky Renteria, it always seemed to be that the training wheels were on. So this is, there's nobody, even as young as those players are, Nick Madrigal included. I mean, he's got the service time, but you're also talking about 60 games counting as a full year, full contract year but with a team that everyone is optimistic about. So there really can't be any, there's no time for training wheels. With the way Joe Madden would use it for the first three and a half months of a season, four months of a season. Ricky Renteria's got, I've I've seen him be mad at people. I don't need that he say he has to be mad at his players, but there can be a level of expectation. We have a level of expectation from him that we haven't seen. He has to do that for his players, and it can't include training wheels. There can't be any excuses, can there? No, I mean, the thing about Ricky Renteria, though, and these White Sox, is that while there are expectations for this team for the first time in a long time, the expectation is not so much getting to the playoffs, it's doing a lot better than 72 wins. He's got to have, at the very least, if they 10 get more 72, wins. If they get 72 wins this year, that'd be something. That'd be a story. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. All right, do the do the proportionate math for me. What is what <laughs> is 72 wins in a 60-game season, math boy? What is 30. it? No, I don't know. Leave it to Trash Panda. Yeah, no, that's that. See, you had to go there. See, if you would have just shut your mouth, we wouldn't right. have had to go through that. But <laughs> no math. But and and every time. Every time Rick Hahn speaks, there is a measured approach as in, yes, we are better, but this is phase whatever it is. There's always a phase, and this fa- this is not the win the World Series year. It's not. And that, so, so as the expectations are higher for Ricky, they've got to be better. It's, the, it's not playoffs, and it's definitely not World Series yet, but, he, but he's got to show something because of the pieces that he has to to work with. I mean, we still I'm getting a little nervous too about Luis Robert because man, there is just this it, it has become assumed that Ricky Renteria is going to be a star. I mean, it the hit the hyperbole continues to go up like b- beyond what Remember when Aloy Jimenez was coming everybody said oh this guy is automatic he's automatically going to be great he's going to come out of the the gates just hitting bombs and you know and they're saying well no robert is better actually he's a better prospect so i mean and then he gets the extension and it's all there it, it appears that it's all there but now there there is this ex talk about expectations there's an expectation on Louis robert to be rookie of the year and to be like in top five for mvp i mean it's gotten to that point for Robert, where I'm, I'm a lit, I'm, I'm getting worried for him. And Ricky Renteria was talking about, well, maybe he won't lead off or bat second, or maybe not in the top of the lineup at all. You, you, he can just watch the top of the lineup hit. So he's not gonna, maybe he, maybe that's where the training wheels are. We're not, we're done, not dumping that guy at the top of the lineup. And as with everything else that's going on, and the urgency here to, to win and win, win in a hurry. Yeah. I mean, and he, he's a microcosm. Hey, as long as, as long as Aaron Bummer proves me right and becomes one of the best relievers in baseball in the next 60 games, then I'll be I'll be totally cool. Okay, that's important. I'm glad. I, I'm, it is important to me. It yeah, really I know. is. That's that's where you are. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we'll take a I'm break. Serious. I think top of the hour we should do. What are you doing, Wagner? There's some fine things lined up here. We'll do that. We'll get a trash panda update, among other things. Um, when when we come back, there was um, something did happen this week that they reset a schedule, and I think they just completely blew it. We'll discuss this regarding the Field of Dreams game. <laughs> I'm Steve Rosenblum. He's Mark Rohde, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Welcome in, welcome back. Steve Rosen with Mark Cody with you. Saturday Suckage, holiday edition. Be safe out there. Wear a mask. And then wear a shield to protect you from errant fireworks. I still don't know why fireworks have been going off 
every night for like the past two, three weeks. I want to connect it some outgrowth, uh, growth of the protests, and and yet I don't understand the reason I haven't seen anything on it. Do you know anything about that, Mark? Are you getting you, honestly? You I think if you went back to past July's, that's when the fireworks begin because there's so many people who are enthusiastic about that. They go and they buy their two hundred dollars worth of fireworks in indiana and they just can't wait i think there's i i think we're all projecting a little bit i'm pretty sure that this is not uncommon for the fireworks to begin i would i would disagree because this has been going on for at least four weeks in my neighborhood and it never has started that early like it's Hmm. been it's been over a month of fireworks every single night i i agree i thought it was a, a an outgrowth of the of the protest though i'm not sure why or what um other than it being annoying and you know i guess you have to my son told me brandon told me this week that having lived in certain areas around the city that he's able to distinguish the difference between fireworks and the reports of a gun oh i can do that too it's actually like it's it's i don't know how to describe it but there is a difference I'm sure there is. I was not aware of that. I was not aware that my son knew the difference. <laughs> and I'm glad it's it's post where he was living and not now. But, Maybe um, I'm not getting as many in my ville of the area. Steve, you're out in the suburbs. Out in the, the, yeah, the leafy residential north suburbs. You're in the yeah. north suburbs. And Studs, where are you residing? What the northwest the side. Which? Northwest, northwest side, side Portage far Park. northwest side. Yeah, Portage okay. Park. I guess you could call that the far north, far northwest side. Yeah, Brandon was in Logan Square, and that's where he was learning the difference between fireworks and gunfire. <laughs> oh wow! I'm so proud. I, my son can tell the difference. <laughs> that's so. an important that distinction a... to be able to make. I, I, I congratulations. I unfortunately he needs it. I'm just saying I had not heard him say that because I was asking him if he knew of any reason for the. The fireworks continuing to go off. I understand they go off on July 3rd, July 4th, July 5th, July 6th. People got leftovers, but as early as they were going off, I just thought it was connected to, to protests. But I'm not sure to what what it was supposed to represent. I'm I'm open to learning, but you got to teach me. So I didn't. So you guys are useless. I am just okay. as prone to staying away from a revolver as I am to staying away from an M80. So to me, it's like I don't need to distinguish between the two because I wouldn't want to be near Run. either necessarily. I'm with or you. an M160, which is basically a quarter stick of dynamite. Great. I'm going to remind an NC4 plastique, so we'll we'll keep that under we'll keep that in the briefcase. Anyways, there was there was a decision this week apparently that the Yankees are not going to travel to the Field of Dreams game to face the White Sox. That was the original plan in the in to go to Dyersville and 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 to go to the 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 Field of Dreams field and they needed it. The White Sox are still planning on going with a new schedule. It's all Central divisions against Central divisions. So it appears the Cardinals are the selected opponent. And I think baseball blew it. Now, what is what is the, the movie about, ultimately, besides a father, spoiler alert, a father wanting to play catch with his son? There's a, oh, it's there more is, than that. <laughs> well, there's a central, a central baseball figure... And as much oh, as yeah. I love Moonlight Graham and Berlangasta, and he says, yeah, son, you'll be good. Um, the, the, there's one baseball player for whom it means the most, right? Of course. Black Sox okay. scandal. Right. How do they not schedule the Reds? How does MLB not make the opponent... For the Field of Dreams game featuring all those White Sox who couldn't play because of the Judge Kennesaw Mountain Landis lifetime ban. How come that's not the Reds, the team that for whom the White Sox threw the World Series? Yeah, the 1919 World Series. I mean, that would make the most sense. If you're really looking for an answer, the only thing I could think of is that for whatever reason, the Reds didn't want to do it. Or... 
Baseball didn't want to be so obvious. We're not going to celebrate the throwing of a World Series. Yeah. Well, you're going to the, you're yeah. going to the field where a movie celebrates the throwing of a World Series. Yeah, so exactly. I, so you're yeah you're already halfway there by having the White Sox in. You might yes. as well go all the way by right. throwing. I mean, <laughs> right? I mean, who's zooming who here? Yeah. No, no. That would it, you know that that'd be the way to do it, man. Two historic teams. I, I mean, the Cardinals are too. I mean, it's not a bad opponent, but it definitely would make more sense. I'm glad it wasn't the Cubs though, because then it just becomes a Cubs game. And then the Sox don't get the proper. That, <laughs> it that just becomes happen. a Cubs game. Serious? That's what it would become. It's Iowa. Come on, man. It's Iowa. That's true. That's that's Cubs territory. It would become right. a Cubs game from all angles, from the television. I mean, television would try their best to incorporate the Black Sox scandal, but no. it would become Chris Bryant's free impending free agency, and will will Bryant be traded? That's that's how it would become, and they they'd mispronounce White Sox names, and nobody would know who Luis Robert is. That's what would happen. <laughs> That's what would happen. And if it's ESPN, they wouldn't even know that the White Sox won a World Series before that famous World Series the Cubs won. They would mention the White Sox threw a World Series, but they wouldn't mention they won the 2005 World Series. And by the way, and that's in this this idea of a 60 game season, the team that the uh, White Sox swept in the 2005 World Series was Mm -hmm. 15 and 30. They started the season 15 and 30, did the Astros. Similar to the way they the sure Washington did. Washington Nationals started 19 and 31 last year, and they're yep. the ones with the trophy. I think and the speaking of the Nationals, I think that they have just as good of a chance as anybody of winning this thing again this year, honestly, because it's it's about it's about like the having the studs at the top. You still have Strasburg and Scherzer, right? There. I mean that. Now more than ever, because we know what it's like in a short season, the mm-hmm. postseason, it's about starting pitching. So it's going to be about which teams have the heavies at the top of the rotation. And then, but then you have to think about COVID, too. And will, can you depend on those guys? So It's true. That's I, I don't believe in the randomness of this as, as much as everybody else does. I still think the best teams are going to be in the postseason and winning, winning it all this year. Speaking of studs at the top, we will have our studs at the top of the hour, and he will give us a Trash Panda report. There's an update, and I just can't wait for this. We will be doing What Are You Doing, Wagner, at the top yes. of the hour. I'm Steve Rosenblum. He's Mark Rohde. We are Saturday Suckage. We suck so your 4th of July doesn't have to. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.